James chapter 1 verse 5, we put up on Facebook here for the intro, and we're just going to start this all over again since our first few minutes didn't go out on the air. But why does James go from verse 4, complete lacking nothing, to verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom? So there's a progression that's here, and in the verses to come, that teach a great principle to cause our Christian walk to really take off, to really go. Last week he was talking about count it all joy. It's not enough just to go through tests and trials. It's not enough just to merely finish. We need to go through with a good attitude, with the right attitude, with gladness and joy in it. And if we do that, we're going to come out on the other side a whole lot better. If uh, you'll turn over in your Bibles to uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, and we have nothing to go up on the screen here tonight. We're just going to uh, uh, let you turn the old-fashioned way or use your phones if you want to look in on, on that. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, the first part we come to here is the if. It's a primary particle of conditionality. It means there are certain conditions that need to be met in order for that to happen. If any of you lacks wisdom, it is possible that you as a Christian are not lacking in wisdom. It is possible that you have the wisdom that you need. Don't assume that you have do not have wisdom. Don't assume that you're a dummy. Don't assume that some of the wisdom that God has already given you through His Word, through His Spirit, is not functional right now for what you're facing. It may very well be. But if you come to the place where which wisdom you have and it's not working for the situation that you're in, you can come to God and you can ask. Now, the ultimate goal is to get we get to the place where we are perfect, complete, lacking nothing. But on the way to get there, we will find that there are times we will lack certain things. These verses, this teaching that James gives us, is not just to teach us how to get wisdom, though we certainly can learn that. It is to teach us how to get all things that we need, anything that we are lacking. But he's taking on the first case, the case of wisdom. Because some of the things that they would be facing in the various trials that we talked about uh, two weeks ago, the various trials that they would encounter. We do, we try to list off some of the ones that they might be facing. Being in a strange city, not having Jerusalem as their home anymore. These other cities were very, very different. They had other temples that were set up. They had a lot of customs that they weren't used to. Their, their job was in jeopardy. They had a worship. They were expected to worship certain entities that they didn't recognize. There was persecution. There was a lot of wisdom that they would need in handling these particular situations. And so, speaking to his church of all the things he imagines that they might be going through as they've been dispersed and sent all over, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, the same word lack here is the same word was used before, nothing different. Wisdom, we've already looked at this before, but this is a very general term for wisdom. could be any kind of wisdom that we need. Let him ask of God. This uh, this part here, the, oh, I didn't uh, fill out one of your blanks there. I think we have that. In, in this case, James brings up wisdom, but he has not changed the subject. I think I said that to you, but just a little bit differently. His subject is still the tests and trials. His subject is still the things that we might lack. That and how we are to face these tests and trials. But he's, he's specifically looking at wisdom because whatever it is that you have looked at that you lack, you can ask of God and he will, he will give it to you. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So that ask, that giving of things liberally is not just limited to wisdom. It's not just he will give wisdom this way. He will give the things that he gives liberally, not just on a bare, barely enough. You'll see this, of course, with manna in the Old Testament. When he rained down manna, he didn't give them just enough. They were scrounging to find that last bit of manna so that everybody could make it through the day. They didn't have that problem. It was an abundance. It was all over the place. They were to take what they needed and the rest of it just melted away. And tomorrow or the next day, they would get more. I put this in your outline. At least I believe I was able to leave this in there. When we are under pressure, we can become more aware of what we lack than what we have. When we have pressure put upon us, I am not so much aware of the things that I possess. I'm not as aware of what I do have. Even in the area of wisdom, when I'm under pressure, I'm not aware of the wisdom that I do have. I'm very aware of the wisdom that I lack. When I'm under pressure, I'm not aware or not mindful of the money that I have. I'm mindful of the money that I need. When I'm under pressure, I'm not mindful of the strength that I have. I am mindful of the strength that I need. Pressure puts this on us. The same need was there before. The same lack was there before. Whatever wisdom I had before is the same wisdom I have now. But the pressure of the situation has caused me to notice that there is a lack and to have a need for that area where there is lack to be satisfied, to be to be fulfilled. Because if it's not, there's a problem. And so this is what he's writing to him about. While we're under that pressure... Things are down upon us. And I'm realizing I need wisdom. I need something in my life that I don't have. There is something that I am lacking. He says all we need to do when we have that lack is ask of God. Let's read over that that again. If any of you lacks wisdom, put it to you this way. If you are in a pressurized situation and you have come to realize that you are lacking something you need to overcome this, Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Now let's take a look at how he's he's saying this because how he phrases this is wonderful. Ask is in the present tense. It's not a past tense. It's not a ask one time and you're done. But ask whenever our present situation finds us in need of wisdom or whatever it might be that we need. So what this means is I don't ask God one time. God... I want to ask you for wisdom so that whenever I need it, I can just rely on that. And then I just always go back on that faith statement. Well, I ask God for wisdom one time and that's all I need to do. When I face a situation, I need to know present tense, I can ask him for that now. Because present tense is where I need. It's not that I go back on a past tense. It's present tense. I need this. It does not mean it is not worded this way and there is a tense for this. It does not mean I keep continually asking him for the wisdom. It means in the present, I ask him, I need this wisdom, and God will give it to me. Now, tomorrow, I may face another situation that I need wisdom on. I can ask him again for that. But I don't need to keep on continually asking for the same wisdom. But I must understand that each day, each week, each month, A new situation may come up that goes beyond the wisdom that I have. And I can come to him and ask him for it. And not be in a, in a bad situation as far as faith is concerned. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all liberally. Now the term here, give, is from the Greek word, and I, I try to, um, I put all this stuff in in the Greek because it's easier for me to read it that way, and then I tried to translate it back over. Some of you folks who were here on Sunday know that my main computer I have used for looks like a decade. Actually, it's a little bit longer than that. Uh, the hard drive on it won't boot up anymore. So I am working feverishly to try and get that sucker back on and going. But in the meantime, I'm trying to make something else do, and uh, there's just a lot of things that the other one I had automated on that's not quite done. This was one of those things. If you have some uh, outlines and they have some funny markings on them, it's just something I didn't get to. So hopefully I I got rid of most of those those things and put it back into the English for you, but it's harder for me to read it from that than it is from the from the Greek. But what I want you to see here is that give is from the don the dontas and it's a form of didomai. It's a form of didomai. Didomai is a simple word meaning I give. But because of the grammar and the way this is put together in this sentence, and this is the Greek grammar of this. It is describing the habit of giving. So it is not just saying that God will give this one time. What he's saying is, and let me read it to you this way. If any, well, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all, who gives, whose habit is to give. Not that, well, you know what? You came to me. All right. Let's decide whether I'm going to, no, this is a person who habitually, this is part of his nature, this is what he does, he is a giver. He loves to give. Who gives to all liberally. So not only does he love to give, but he gives in a liberal way. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Who gives to all. Now this is going to all. Some translations put it this way, to all men. But uh, and I wrote it in there that way. But the King James, New King James, just says to all, no one rates over another. Just because this person, maybe they've been in ministry thirty years, maybe this person just got born again, maybe this person uh, has purged their life of all kinds of sins. This other one is involved. In, it doesn't have any of that classification. James does not list any of these kind of conditions. He says he gives to all men. That means that the qualifications that I think I have do not qualify in this situation because he will give to all men. If there were certain things that you could do to put yourself in a higher level of qualification, he would have put it here. He would have mentioned it, but it's not. He says he gives to all men liberally. That's everybody. Now he's writing to his church. So he's talking about the all, all the people as those that were in the church, those who serve God. He's not giving out to the heathen the way that he gives out to his body. That part's kind of assumed because he's writing to his church members. If they're reading this, they're, they recognize him as their pastor. So just keep that part in mind. The word here for, uh, the, is translated liberally is the Greek word haplos, which means beautiful, uh, bountifully, simply, openly, frankly, sincerely. It is used a total of one time in the New Testament. And this is it. He gives to all liberally. So what he is doing is he doesn't just give a little bit, well, you need $20? All right, well, here's 21 That's not the way that he's, he's coming about this. He's not saying, all right, what exactly do you need for this situation? 
and we we tell them, oh, well, I need $50. We're just using money because it's easier to count that. I need $50. All right, what are you going to do with the whole $50? How how you're breaking that down? Well, I need 20 for this. I need five for this. And then, well, you don't really need 20 for that. Let's cut that down to 15. This is not the way that God gives. This is not the way that he goes. It might be the way some people have given to us, but that's not the way that God gives. He gives liberally. How much do you need? Well, I need $50. Are you sure that's enough? Do you, do you, might you need a little bit more than that? That's the, that's the attitude. That's the way that he approaches this. So when I say I need wisdom for a situation, as he's using the example of here, I don't get just enough to get me by. He gives me plenty. He gives me abundantly. And that wisdom that will come in, as long as I hang in there and keep feeding off of the wisdom that he's given me, there is plenty for me to get. What happens though sometimes is that people are being fed wisdom and once they get they get that wisdom and they get just enough understanding of that wisdom to cover their need, they're done. They don't meditate on it anymore. They don't, they don't press in anymore. Don't do that. What he gave you is more than enough than you need for the situation. So if he gave you wisdom on a particular situation, he gave you enough to cover that need and some more down the road. So if I will take what he gave me and meditate on it and spend time on it, I will understand things that haven't even happened yet, the wisdom that I that I need for. Now I've got all that in storage because I spent time with what God gave me. God, you gave me something precious here. You gave me something great. I'm going to spend time with this. I'm going to get everything out of it that I possibly can. Not just enough for this one situation, but what is also coming down the road. There is lots of wisdom that can be had here. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, God who is the habitual giver. God is the one who just loves to give. This is one of his favorite pastimes is giving to his kids. Just like uh, sometimes we've had grandparents, we've had parents who just love to give. Just love to give out stuff. And uh, once we find that out as, as kids, once we find out that somebody is a perpetual giver, we make we become a perpetual requester. We always want to go out there and to... And to be asking, asking things. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Now this, this is key right here to understand this because not everybody understands this when they're asking God for things, not just for wisdom, but for other things as well. Without reproach, it's a combination word here. And if the first one, first word is may, and that is a negative. And that's where you get the without. Reproach means to scold, to reproach, or to revile. It means to express disapproval of, criticism of, or disappointment in someone. To bring shame upon or to disgrace. So think of it this way. We're going to go back to the money example. Say that you ran into a situation. You had moved out from home. And you've got your own apartment now. And you've got your own car. And you've got your own job. But uh, things had happened on the job that you didn't anticipate. And things have gone on, and all of a sudden now, what I'm making is not quite enough, and I, I need some help. And I go back to mom and dad and says, "Mom and dad, I'm just I'm stuck in a situation. Some of the overtime I was counting on, some of the hours I was counting, they got cut out, but they're coming back in a little bit, but they're just not there right now. Can you help me with some of the expenses I have right now?" And they may ask for that help. And some people have experienced this from their parents when they've gone to do that. Well, I told you that you shouldn't have moved out. I told you that you shouldn't have. And they begin to, to, 
to uh, disgrace them and to make them feel ashamed and to put them down for the decisions they made. Well, I told you not to buy that car. If you wouldn't have bought that car and stayed with the one you had, even though you hit this situation, you would have had enough to, to make it on by. And so that reproach comes in, that disapproval. I didn't approve of some of those things you did and got yourself into the situation. And sometimes just the knowledge that that might happen keeps some people from even going back and asking. If I have that idea about God that I'm stuck in the situation, if I go to God and ask Him for wisdom, if I go to God and ask Him for help, if I go to God and ask Him for the thing that I lack, is God going to look down upon me and say things to me, well, I told you not to do this. Well, my word said, well, I told you, well, other people came and told you, why did you get involved? Why did you do this particular thing? But he is telling you right here, James is telling you, if any of you lacks wisdom, remember these are situations, these are trials, tests that they have fallen into. This is not ones that they had walked into, but these are ones that came upon them. They didn't foresee them, but they came upon them and they're in the midst of these situations. He says, if you lack wisdom, if you're in these situations and you don't know what to do, let him ask of God. He says, look, I'm the pastor. I'm not there to be able to help you out, but God is. God is right there. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He's not going to give you just enough. He's going to give you more than enough. And without reproach, he's not going to be there to try and bring shame upon you. Now take a look at some of the places where this same word is used. Blessed are you when, this is uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. I don't know if he gave you the references for these. I may have cut them out when I was trying to trim it down. But Matthew 5 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. People are going to come and they're going to say all manner of evil against you. They're going to put you down. They're going to persecute you. They're going to ridicule you. This is how this word is used. And the word is odezo. To to scold, to reproach, or to revile. We don't need a negative in front of that because this is the things they're doing. They're reviling you. They're persecuting you. Say all kinds of evil against you and falsely for my, for my sake. Matthew 11 and verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which his mighty works had been done because they did not repent now here is where they are getting some of that rebuke that people expect to get when they come and they ask God for something but here they're actually getting this rebuke but that's because they rejected the works they rejected the things that he had done in those cities Mark 16 verse 14 last one later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have rebuked them because Jesus taught them this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed, crucified. I'm going to be dead for three days and I'm going to rise up. And he told them that a number of times and they didn't believe that. But he didn't rebuke them for that. He rebuked them because he had resurrected. He had shown himself to some people. Those people came back and they told him, I saw Jesus. And they said, we don't believe you. So not only did Jesus teach them, but then people came by and verified it. And so when he approached them with that, then he rebuked them. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, if there is lack in your life, get this from this verse. If there is lack in your life, it is not because God has a purpose in it. 
His goal is to get you without lack and along the way he tells us how to receive what we lack. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, if you come up in a situation and you don't have the wisdom for it, God does not have a purpose for you not having wisdom for that situation. In fact, if you ask him, he will give it to you and not just give you barely enough, he will give you more than enough. It will actually carry you through on a number of other situations that you can't even see coming yet if you'll stay with that wisdom that he gives you meditate on it and get the understanding of it so ask knowing that God is willing he is generous he will generously meet your needs he's not going to meet your needs with some kind of disapproval because of our state of lack or would hinder his attitude in giving sometimes if we have that state of approval we might think as maybe some people have done for us when we came and they asked for help because of their disapproval, they didn't want to give as much help as we had needed. They expect, well, I'll give you some, but you need to go get some more on your own. You need to go out there and, and do that. God's not like that. If we have a need. He's going to give us more than we need, and He's not going to give us attitude with it. That's what He is saying in this verse. Now, pressure from trials exposes weakness. It just makes us aware we had them before. God knew we had them before and still loved us. If God loved me yesterday before the test of trial exposed my weakness, why do I think He's not going to love me today when the test of trial exposed my weakness? It's not. He's not a, He's not bothered by the fact that we have a weakness exposed. He wants us to know that once a weakness is exposed, come to me, ask me, and I'll take care of it. I'll help you. I will give to you more than you need because I am a giver. I love to give. Now, if God gives the wisdom to you, if God has given it to you, understand this, I have the capacity to see it. I have the capacity to understand it. And I have the capacity to use it. I don't know if anybody has ever said this, but if God has given you wisdom, God, I just, I just don't understand this. I don't understand how to use this. If God has given you something, He has given you everything you need to utilize it. He didn't just give you something and say, well, figure it out. That's not how our God does things. If God gives me wisdom on a situation, then it's wisdom that it will work. It's wisdom that is needed. And it's something that I can use. It's something that I can understand. Let me read that one more time. Verse verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. And it will be given to him. Is there any if with that? The if was in the beginning. If any man lacks wisdom. I may not lack wisdom. But if I do lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Now this is what we need to understand about the asking. If I have a situation, and we're just going to stay with wisdom on this, if I have a situation with wisdom, I'm involved in a test, I'm involved in a trial, it, it's, it's exposed a lack in my life, it's exposed a lack in my understanding, in the wisdom that I have, and I say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. And then this verse says, if I ask God, and I say, God, I need wisdom in this situation. It says, He will give it to me. In the end here, and it will be given to Him. No doubt. 
Which means I don't have to keep coming back to God and asking Him for wisdom on that same situation. If I have another situation that comes up, I can ask Him for wisdom on that. But on this one, I, I can rest on that. Now, this is what's been taught to me, and this is the way that I have always walked in this, and I know I've mentioned this in times before. But if I have asked God for wisdom on a situation, I do not ever go around and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I ever, if you ever do hear me say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, then you ought to just hit me upside the head and say, well, then you ought to ask God. <laughs> because either I haven't asked God, or I asked Him, but I'm not believing. Because in the Word of God, He says, if you ask God, this is what He's going to do. So I don't need to keep asking God on this every time for wisdom. And understand, this is just one of the situations that can also be applied to others, but He's taking what is probably the number one request, their number one need, which is wisdom. How do I handle these things in these foreign cities, in these foreign situations, in these places where I've never been before? I'm seeing stuff I've never seen. I'm being asked to do things I've never done. I'm being without. I don't know where to get work. All these different things that are going on. But once I've asked them, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I have this situation. Here's the choices or I don't know what the choices are, or I don't know how to solve this. But you said in your word that if I lack, I should ask you. So I'm asking, give me wisdom on what to do. Not just knowledge, wisdom. Knowledge is knowledge, but wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Knowing what to do with it. There's a lot of people that are book smart, but they don't know what to do with it. They can't figure out stuff. You know, I have a, uh, a buddy of mine, we've, we've talked about situations, especially with the young people in the world anymore. It seems like they know a lot of things, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to apply it anywhere. They, they, they can't solve problems. You give them a problem and they're stuck. They just can't figure it out. And uh, after a while, you know, you take them by the hand and say, you, you show them, well, we'll do this and do this and, and so forth. But they just can't seem to do it. Now, I know with my kids, when they were off getting jobs and doing things, that one of the things that I would hear uh, from people that employed them, because both of them were out and getting jobs, and I heard from all their employers, not, well, not every single one, but I heard from a lot of them. Uh, some of them, because I, I just uh, I had a relationship with them, and I would be able to talk to them. And I would hear this about them. They just seemed to be able to solve problems. And, and that was good, especially when you're around people that can't solve problems. But if they came up with a problem, they didn't stop. They didn't just quit doing things. They went out there and they solved the problem. They figured out what to do. And, but you can't go around saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, this, I'm, just, you can't just be overwhelmed. You got to get in and say, all right, we need wisdom on this situation. I need to know how to fix this. I need to know what to do. And from that point on, I just begin to go. You don't always know all the steps. But you do what God tells you to do. Sometimes you just get to do this step. And so, all right, well, I got that. And I'll go ahead and do this one. And so we go out there and we do that one step. Well, they got this other step. All right, well, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll do that step. Whatever it might be, God will give you some things. I can think of some things. There were problems in business that I was in, job that I had, and problems came up. And I mean, some of them could have overwhelmed me. I, I felt overwhelmed on some, on some of them. I don't know what to do. Well, the solution came, well, hit this one. Take care of this one. All right, well, we took care of that. And then moved on. To, all right, well, we took care of that. And before long, we got to the end of the the issue and everything was done. And so it was taken care of. But don't ever go around and be overwhelmed. 
Don't ever go around constantly saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. The more I say that, the more overwhelmed I become. And if I believe this verse of Scripture, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And uh, I believe his brother Keith Moore, he would say this. He'd, he'd just say, people would come to him and say, what are you going to do? I don't know. And so they would say, well, they'd press him a little bit further. He says, look, I don't need to know right now. I know I need to know eventually, but I don't need to know right now. When I need to make a decision, I'll know what to do. And he would just say it that way. So then people wouldn't keep pressing him. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He didn't know what he was going to do, but I asked God. God's going to send me the wisdom. The wisdom's coming my way. When I have to make a decision on that, it will be here. (laughs) And so just have that confidence to know that God will do it because it will be given to him is what he says. Let's go on to the next verse. But we still got three more verses to go. We got to hurry. <laughs> but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For not, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. But, now in contrast, let him ask in faith with no doubting. You see, if I ask God for wisdom and then I go from there and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I asked God, but He hasn't given it to me yet. I asked God, but it doesn't, I haven't gotten an answer. That's not a person who's believing. That's a person who's doubting. Don't be doing that. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. The wisdom, or whatever the thing is, that is asked for will certainly be given. But let that person ask in faith. Not receiving what we lack is not a God problem. Not receiving what we lack is not a God problem, but a receiving problem. The problem's not on God's end. It's not on God's end that He doesn't have it to send it. It's not on God's end that He's not willing to send it. This verse tells us He's got it. He gives liberally. He wants to give. He's ready to give. He will give it. All those things are said on the God end. It's the receiving part that we have to work on. Asking in faith means we have searched for and know the will of God on the matter. So if I'm going to ask for something in faith, it means that first off I searched and I know the will of God. Now here, wisdom. If I need wisdom on something, I've got it right here. I don't go too much further. But I could also go in places and look where people were lacking wisdom. What do we do? How many kings in the Old Testament face a situation with a warring king coming against them? And they were bewildered. What do we do? They needed wisdom. They didn't specifically get out there and they asked for wisdom, but they asked for God what to do. That's basically asking for wisdom. I need to know what to do. Solomon himself asked for wisdom in particular. He said, I need wisdom to be able to govern these people. But if I got to ask in faith, which means first off, I've got to go out there and do the searching, do the understanding from, from the will of God. If it is God's will to give it, then I can ask in faith. But I gotta know it. I may hope that God wants to give it, but I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. We just had a whole, whole mess of snow that came. And I think I've used this example before. But if somebody was sitting at home and they said, well, I sure hope brother Keith, pastor Steve, brother Les, somebody comes over to my house and shovels me out. 
I'm just, in fact, I'm just going to believe God that they're just going to come over here and do it. But neither Brother Keith, Brother Les, Pastor Steve, none of us said anything about coming over and doing that. But here this person is, they're sitting there on their couch, believing God. Now see, that's faith without foundation, which is also known as presumption. We don't want to presume anything. Even if Brother Les was willing to go over and to shovel the walk out. It, you can't just presume because there's, there's no knowledge. There's no, uh, nothing has been said. When God says it with his word and he says, I will do this, now I've got something to work with. God, you said in your word that you would do this. But I gotta first off do the, the, the study. Do the research. Get into his word. Find out what he said. When I find it all right there, this is what you said. This is what you said you would do. Remember Daniel, studying the scriptures. He wanted to know what was up for his country, for his people. And so he was studying the scriptures to find out when he came upon the verse in Jeremiah that said 70 years. Ah, 70 years. Now we understand. Now we know. And so then he was able to come to God. Now we've got the 70 years in. Now what? See, he's got his word. And as soon as somebody took God at his word and said, what happens after the 70 years? The answer was sent. What would happen? But somebody had to find out in his word that he said this and say, what happens now? You said 70 years. We didn't, I didn't know before, even though it was there. He didn't know it, but he was studying, looking. His eyes were opened. He saw it. Not receiving what we lack is not a God problem. It's a receiving problem. I haven't done the receiving on it yet. Now he who doubts, diacrino, to discern, to judge, to make a distinction. Doubts, the word means to discern, to judge, or to make a distinction. I put this, wrote this uh, note down about it. To defer or to be at variance with oneself. In other words, your mouth may be saying all the right words, but your heart is not really in agreement. It's just a mouthful of correct, empty words until your heart and mouth get into agreement. You are not really asking in faith. Until your heart and mouth get into agreement, you are not really asking in faith. That was from Brother Rick Renner. I need to make sure that down in my heart, I believe the same things that are coming out of my mouth. Because some Christians go around and they want to have a good confession and they say the right thing. I believe God's going to take care of this. I believe God's going to do this. I believe God's coming through here. But down in the heart, they're all messed up. They don't have things worked out there because they didn't do the, the search to find out, is this the will of God? Or is it just my is it just my will? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. No, this again, this word is to discern, to judge, and to make a distinction. When you doubt is when you have judged God's word to not be true. That is what this word means. This word for doubt here means I have judged, I have discerned, I have made a distinction. And I have decided that the problem is more true than God's word. And so I doubt God's word. Can God really do this? Can God really give me wisdom on this situation? It seems, it seems like it has perplexed everyone. It's perplexed me for a long time. Can God really give me something to be able to, to solve this with? Now he compares them, this to waves. I wrote this down when we went over James before. I'll give it to you again. Waves are caused by their surroundings. 
Waves are caused by their surroundings. Water just sits there until something comes along and acts upon it. That's why when Jesus calmed the storm, he first off spoke to the wind. Because until you speak to the source, you're not going to get anywhere. So he spoke to the wind and he calmed the wind down. And then he spoke to the waves. He rebuked the wind and he spoke to the waves peace. But he first off had a deal with the wind. Waves don't just happen. Storms come. There's wind in the storms. This stirs up the, the, the water. Sometimes an earthquake can happen. And an earthquake can cause the water to be disrupted and can cause waves. Waves, don't, water doesn't just become waves. Things have to act upon it. If you've ever gone down to uh, one of those pools where they have a wave pool, they're all the, the in thing now. Anybody ever been to a wave pool? All right, been, got a few people have been to the wave pools. We love going to the wave pool. The kids, grandkids, they love going into the wave pools. And what the wave pool is, is just a, 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 an area that you can walk out and keeps getting deeper and deeper as you walk out. But it's got a wall that moves. And the movement of that wall causes the waves. The water itself won't be a wave pool until something comes along and acts upon them. So you are being acted upon when you get into doubting and you are tossed by the waves. You're being acted upon instead of acting on. God doesn't want you to be acted upon. He wants you to act on. I'm supposed to act on my circumstances, but the circumstances won't act upon me. Now, going back to the beginning here, if you have uh, different people who go into the ocean, and I love going in the ocean, I'd much rather go in the ocean than go into a pool any day. I think the ocean is just more fun. It, it, the ocean is always warmer than a pool. At least it feels, you could be in a 65 degree ocean and it'll feel like a 70 degree pool. It's just, that's, it's a five degree difference. I have played around with it for a long time. And I find myself, if I go into a 70 degree pool, I can stay in about as long as I can in a 65 degree ocean. But if that, uh, you know, you go into an 80 degree pool, you can stay in there for a real, real long time. You go into a 75 degree ocean, you can stay in there for a really, really long time before you start getting cold. Now you eventually will get cold. If that water temp was in the 80s in the ocean, you can pretty much stay in there all day. And most people, I know there's some people that are cold and just can't. But you have different people who go into the ocean for different reasons. Some people want to go in the ocean. They don't like waves. They don't want waves. Uh, waves knock me down. Waves take away the fun that I have out here. Other people, they go in the wave in the water for the waves. So if you have somebody who doesn't like waves and they go in the water and the waves start happening, they're, they're disappointed. They don't, they don't like it. They, they dread the waves coming. But if you have a surfer and he sees the waves, what's his response? Oh man, here we go. All right. <laughs> and he's ready to go out because we got waves. See, just the same situation. One person looks at it and it's very joyful. The other person says, oh, I'm not going in there. So the same situation caused one person to have joy and the other person not to have joy. And he's comparing these people that get into doubt with waves. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. They are like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now I saw this note on on waves and I hadn't really thought about this uh, up until then. But a wave comes and goes. It's not constant. 
it rises up, it looks big, it looks uh, incredibly powerful, and then crash, it's gone, and it's a memory. People that don't stay in faith, they look great, they talk a great talk, but then all of a sudden, they're gone. He doesn't want you to be a wave that just kind of pops up and then goes away. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Remember, doubts, it's just simply discerning, deciding, judging that what God said is not as true as what I'm up against. Don't go after that. He says, let not that man suppose, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. When you get to this place where you are tossed by the wind, where other things come and act upon you, and they move you over here. If you're over here, you're believing God, and all of a sudden a bunch of people get around you and say, why are you believing God for that? Don't you know you can't believe God for those kind of things? Here comes the wind trying to move me off. Oh yeah, I guess why I shouldn't. We're not, we're not standing there. People in faith, they stand there. They don't, they don't get moved by this. But some people, they get moved. Don't be one of those people. He says, Let not that man suppose. This word suppose means to assume to be true or real for the sake of argument or explanation. To assume to be true or real for the sake of argument and explanation. So don't let that man suppose. Don't assume that things are going to happen. If you are this person, if you are a doubter, if you're someone who's tossed about by all these things, don't assume that things are just going to go the way that you want. That you're just going to receive what you need. To believe, especially on uncertain or tentative grounds. To consider to be a, to be probable or likely. This is all what that word means. To assume to be true or real for the sake of argument or explanation. To believe, especially on uncertain or tentative grounds or to consider to be probable or likely. Now let's take a look at some other places where we see this. In John chapter 21, verse 25, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain He hasn't done any great research on this. He's just saying, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In Philippians 1.16, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains. They're supposing. They're assuming that this is going to do something to me. It's not. (laughs) This is how he's using it there. One one more here. James, let's just read over James 1.16-7 again. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now this is the same Lord who's willing to give everything and wants to give generously, but he's not going to receive a thing because he's in this place of doubt. He has determined that what God said is not as true as what he sees. He's determined that what God said is not as true as what he feels. Verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The word here, double-minded, 
It means two-spirited, vacillating in opinion or purpose, or as we have it translated here, double-minded. Two-spirited, vacillating in opinion or purpose, double-minded. When the conditions of verse 6 are engaged, this person is double-minded. When we get into this place where we are doubting, this is what happens. This is what comes about. He is a double-minded man. I didn't start off that way, but when I brought doubt into my life and I made the judgment that what God said is no longer as true or not as true to me as what I see, what I feel, what I want... I have become double-minded. The word there, unstable, it means unstable, inconstant, restless. Unstable. It means you can be moved. You can be moved off of that. You can be moved easily. The Word of God talks about having a stand. There's a faith stand. There's a stand we need to, to make on that that no matter what comes against me, no matter what I feel, no matter what pressure from other people, no matter what pressure from the Spirit, God has said this, and I am going to stand here. God has said, if I need wisdom, ask. I'm going to stand here. I know I have the wisdom that I need. I know I have the thing that I need. What I lacked, what my pressure situation has brought up and has shown me that I lacked, I'm still under that same pressure situation that exposed the lack. But I am not going to be moved. Doubting people are under that same pressure situation. They've seen the lack. That part's easy. They've made their request, but they haven't stayed. They haven't planted their feet. They haven't become stable. They are unstable. He is a double-minded man. I think this way. I can also think this way. I think this way, and I can think that way. When you look at people in this world who say one thing one day and do another thing another day. We see this a lot in the political realms, but we see it also in other areas. And we just think, well, that's just people. No, that's evil. This is not God. People that are godly, they say what they mean. They are not double-minded. They don't say, I'm going to do this and then go off and do this. They say, this is what I'm going to do. This is where we're going to stand. And they stay it. Stay there. They don't move off of it. They are stable. Unstable. This is what the devil loves. He loves people to get unstable. Pressure comes. Well, you ought to do this. Well, you ought to quit this. Well, you ought not to do this thing over here. And you see this uh, outside the political realm. You're going to see this a lot in uh, formats like Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I don't like Twitter. I don't, I've had people that say, well, I'm thinking of switching over to Twitter. I said, you lose me. I think it's a garbage pail. I never liked it. But anyway, it's it's out there. But I know what they do with this is that they take businesses that have made a stand for something and they attack them through Twitter. Now, I know personally of a couple of businesses, one in particular, that when they were attacked, they went on the offensive and they didn't sit back. They went on the offensive, but this they, they were a well-known person they had advertisers for the thing that they, they do. And these Twitter people went after all their advertisers to try and get them to drop them or they're going to not buy their stuff anymore. So they went out there and they did research and they found out that all these thousands and thousands, tens of thousands 
of Twitter uh, things that they had received came from 10 people. 10 people total. They didn't stop there. They actually found out who the 10 people were and sent them letters through a lawyer to let them to, to know, you cease and desist or we will come after you. And that's what they had to do. Sometimes you've got to get that way. But a lot of places they don't do that. And so they just bow down to, to the thing. Now some of the advertisers decided to leave them. And so, and other people stepped up and said, well we'll take that spot. Because <laughs> you know, when you, when you have advertisers say you have a flower company, if one flower company wants to step back, another flower company is just waiting on the wings. You can't have two flower companies on there. You gotta, you know, decide which one. So they went with the other one. And then uh, the other one recanted, hey we shouldn't have done that. Well too late. <laughs> We've already, we've already moved over to somebody else. And, and so anyway, in the end, this person wasn't hurt at all. Even though the threats were made, but they attacked it. They went after it. They weren't moved off of it. They didn't succumb to the pressure to say, to do all these different things. They stayed with what they knew to be true, what they knew to be right. They came out on top. Boy, I could tell you, tell you all the details how they came out on top. I just thought it was phenomenal how they did. But they did not become double-minded. This is what happens with with a lot of these people, and uh, in this in this era, we have uh, this is just one of the aspects, but there's other places as well. But just because in a business is attacked through a bunch of Twitter people who are saying we're going to not buy, these are more than likely people who never bought from your business to begin with. And uh, but the pressure is there. Tens of thousands of these requests are coming in. And drop this, stop this, do this. But that's where that pressure comes in. That's just one situation you can kind of visualize that. But in the spirit realm, there's pressure that comes to try and get you to move. To try and think that it's your benefit if you, you drop what it is that God says is truth and you go with something else. But don't do it. Don't be a double-minded person. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The word here for ways, hadas, a road, this is the literal uh, meaning, a road or by ink, implication progress that you make on that road figuratively it means a mode or means a journey that you are on and that's more what it's talking about here unstable in all his ways it's not talking about us being on actual literal road it's talking about us being on a figurative road we are going along a journey we are along our way in there but we're going to be unstable in all of the ways that we go all the journeys that we are on but God doesn't want us to be in that that way. Let's wrap this up here. The goal here is to be lacking nothing. That's where God wants us to be. But along the way in attaining that goal, this is how you get what's needed. Because as you get into pressure situations, and we should find ourselves in pressure situations. If we're doing things in life, we're going to find that we're going to become in pressure situations. Pressure situations don't mean that we miss God. That means that you're doing stuff. That's all. And it's going to expose a need. And when it does, this is how you do it. You go to God. Wisdom is just an example here. But remember, if your situation, your pressure situation, has exposed other things, I can still do the same thing and go to God and ask. But he's shown us here how to do it. But it is not. And you can write these in, but leave yourself room. I got a little sentence I want you to write in here at the end. It is not begging and pleading. Begging and pleading is not the way that God would have us to go. It is not hoping and praying. Hoping and praying. Well, God, I sure hope that you want to do this. I'm just going to keep on coming to you and praying. 
I'm just going to keep continually coming to you just like that widow woman came to the judge. I'm trying to use scripture. That's not how you use them. It's not begging and pleading. It's not hoping and praying. It's not waiting and longing. Well, I'll just wait here. Just long for that thing to come. Just let's show God that I have this great desire for this to come. These are not the ways that it come. Here's what it does involve. Believing and receiving. That's what, that's God's way. If I'm in a pressure situation, a need has come out, I find out what God's word is on it, I believe God's word, and I receive it. And that's how we take care of the need. God will take care of the needs the pressure situation has exposed. Now here, get this last sentence here. Hopefully you got some room somewhere on the piece of paper that you can write that down. Of course, for all you folks that are at home, you got paper all over the place, right? <laughs> God is more interested in developing your character than meeting your needs. As much as this verse has told us that He wants to meet your needs, He wants to give generously. What these verses all together have told us is that God is more interested in developing your character than in meeting your needs. Now I know that God wants to meet my needs, but He also wants to develop your character. And here in these first eight verses, He's talking about the development of character. How it is that we can be in a pressure situation but not change. How instead of going and griping and complaining, we stay in an attitude of joy. Count it all joy when you encounter various tests and trials. It's developing character. God is more interested in the inner character of us being developed than the needs that are exposed ever be met. But you cannot escape that what James is talking about here is having a way to meet those needs with a generous God who will give. No doubt. He says He'll give to, to everyone. No doubt that He will give it to you. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let that let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, be, be what it was here in the first verse. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. This is how he gives. He gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. It will be given to him. Father, I thank you that no matter what situation we are in, whatever weaknesses it has exposed, whatever lack it has brought out that we have, we have a God who has a supply for that lack. If that lack is wisdom, we have a God who has more wisdom than we ever need. And when He gives us wisdom, He gives us more wisdom than we need for our situation, which means we now have an abundance. If we'll just take the things that you have spoken to us and meditate on them, not to just get just enough to cover what we have to do, but to understand He has given to us surplus. He's given to us extra. And I just need to get everything out of what He told me. When I understand that my God gives liberally in excess of whatever the need is. And He never makes me feel bad about having asked. He never makes me feel bad that I'm in a situation where I have a lack. Never makes me feel bad about it. He's a loving God. He's a giver of a God. Father, I thank you 
that this is who you are. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Whatever it is that we're facing here today, if we need wisdom, we need just ask. We don't need to keep continually asking. We just need to come to you and ask. But if tomorrow I have a new situation and I need wisdom, I can come to you and ask you about that one too. But I will not get into a place of doubt no matter how much pressure comes upon me. You know how many people want to come to me and say, well, what are you going to do? I thank you that you have supplied what it is that we need. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.